Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. We can't escape seeing all of the people coming to the rescue these days. Whether it's the doctors, nurses, and other hospital staff on the front line, or grocery clerks, postal workers, and the folks fulfilling orders at Amazon. There are so many people making an impact in this important time. I'm Patrice Socorro with Laura Gregg and David Partain of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. In this Flexible Advisor podcast, they look at the financial advisory community and the people helping everyone through this. Hello and welcome to the Flexible Advisor podcast. I am Laura Gregg here with my co-host David Partain. In today's special episode, we're going to focus on what you can do to build your practice during this health and economic crisis. While many advisors are spending their days blocking and tackling right now, there are others going all in to grow their business. Some are working on building their referral pipelines and increasing their marketing budgets, like our guest today, Malcolm Etheridge. Malcolm is an executive vice president and financial advisor with CIC Wealth Management in Rockland, Maryland, and he is focused on working with both business owners and executives in technology. His areas of expertise include retirement planning, executive benefits, and investment portfolio development, as well as insurance. Malcolm is passionate about the case for financial literacy and the transformative effects it can have on young people. I know he's a frequent speaker throughout the industry and also in his community. And Malcolm is both co-host and executive producer of Manage Your Damn Money. It's a show designed to help make casual conversations about personal finance the rule and no longer the exception among millennials and other young people. Malcolm and his co-host tackle topics as complex as credit scoring and paying off student debt, all while mixing in references to pop culture and current events to keep it entertaining. Malcolm, welcome back to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Thanks for having me. Certainly appreciate it. Hi, Malcolm. This is David. As a chief marketing officer, I am excited to talk to you today, especially about what we're going to, the topic we're going to talk about, which is shifting marketing strategy during the coronavirus crisis. And to set the stage, let's first understand what your marketing program looked like even pre-crisis. Aside from begging and pleading, it really <laughs> looks like a, a lot of hand-to-hand interaction, the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing amid the coronavirus. So a lot of events, a lot of going to places where people I know personally would be with their colleagues and friends and willing and able to make an introduction that way, you know, getting a business card and following up the old-fashioned way, all of the things basically that we're not able to do now. I know over my career for a lot of organizations, the first thing they cut seems to be marketing when you mm-hmm. go into a crisis or situation where you need to raise funds. Has there been a relatively consistent dollar amount that you've targeted to those marketing efforts on an annual basis? Previously, I spent thousands of dollars to attend conferences, to buy a ticket to whatever event was happening. I'm in the DC area here, and so there's always some gala to go to, some super special fancy event to be on the invite only list for. 
And so paying for that kind of stuff, like I don't actually know the exact number, like I probably should being in finance, but let's say that number is like $10,000 basically that over the course of a year, uh, it can add up to including like flying or taking the train to get to the events and paying for hotel stays and all that kind of stuff. That's about what I, what I know I spent in 2019 at least. David and I, too, spent a lot of our time out uh, meeting with advisors at those events. And so, obviously, we can't do that. What, you know, what are you doing um, in place of that? Um, you know, I know when we, we were talking about doing this podcast, you said you really wanted to talk about how you were ramping up your marketing efforts. And I'm just wondering, you know, you're a fee-based advisor. So presumably your revenue is declining along with asset levels, although fortunately we've seen a little bit of a reversion there. But how is it that you're able to retool your marketing efforts at this time and what does that look like? So as you mentioned, like all, not all, but most advisors in the space, we charge a percentage fee based on the assets that we manage. So you're right. If the market's down 25%, my top line revenue has just fallen off a cliff by 25%. And so the thing that I've had to keep in mind is that at the time that the market is most in disarray, that's when people are most likely going to be willing and able to hire a new advisor. So as much as it might feel good to say, okay, I can take the marketing expense like David mentioned, which is an intangible and say, I'm just going to draw a red line through that and get rid of that. So at least that keeps the lights on for another couple months. It's actually counterintuitive in the sense that the time people need to be finding me and knowing who I am more is right now. So the place that I should be presumably spending the same, if not more money, is on that marketing to make sure that I'm getting my name and face in front of folks who need to find me. So I just mentioned to David that my rough estimate is about $10,000 that I spent on events and marketing and travel and things like that related to bringing in new clients last year. My plan is actually to spend that same $10,000 on marketing efforts this year, but they'll be different. Things like online ads, things like strategic placements, all those kind of things. I actually already spent a few dollars to engage a marketing design firm to help create new ads and those kind of things that I wasn't doing before because I was out meeting people face to face. But now where I need people to be looking and finding me uh, the other way around, those inbound leads, I'm just having to spend those dollars differently. Malcolm, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're placing the online ads and what, what exactly, when you, you mentioned strategic placements, what do you mean by that? Without giving away too much of my secret sauce, because uh, your, your <laughs> guests are also fishing in the same pond as I, but essentially there's plenty of organizations and publications out there that need expert content. And so one thing that you may or may not have noticed because I'm connected to both of you guys on LinkedIn is I've actually ramped up my efforts to write more so that I present to people as a subject matter expert on, you know, Roth IRAs or variable annuities or 401k rollovers or whatever the topic is that strikes me at the time. I'm doing a lot more of that writing, but it doesn't really matter how good the writing is if nobody knows you exist and don't come and find you. And so spending the money on promoting those pieces via like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn is really where the value add comes. And so those things, all those services that I mentioned all come with 
a pretty hefty price tag to get your content promoted on Facebook or Twitter to get it in front of the target audience that you want. They charge a decent amount for those ads. Let's say on, on a good day, $20 per time somebody clicks on one of them and reads your content. Those kind of things, they're not easy. They're not cheap, but they are effective. And so that's really where I've been focusing more. And, you know, I've always been impressed with your organic social media, the stuff that I, I think you're doing on your own through mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Um, are you ramping up the frequency of those uh, posts now as well? Not necessarily the frequency, because I, I, I do want to make sure that I don't become uh, a PETA, a pain in the you know what, where <laughs> people all of a sudden start delinking or un- unfollowing or whatever from you because you know you're just posting so frequently that you become a pain and so i'm not necessarily ramping up the frequency of those posts but i am making sure that the ones that i do throw up there every single day are the most interesting most relevant most timely thing that i could be talking to my audience about so at least once a day i'm posting something on linkedin and twitter to make sure that i'm getting the messaging in front of my targeted audience and then I mix right. in I know, my yeah. own original uh, content in between there so that I am, like I said, subject matter expert, but then also just bringing you somebody else's uh, content. But I get to look like the expert again for bringing it to you. Um, well, obviously, you know, David and I work for a really large global firm that is really good to its people, especially during times like these. So we're happy to be where we are. And you were previously, and we've talked about this on a past podcast, but you were previously in a wirehouse firm for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm I'm guessing that they have uh, more resources and, uh, you know, recognizable SMEs as it relates to market and investment strategists. Now that we're here, I I think I know your answer, but I'm going to ask a question anyhow. Any regrets (laughs) on uh, going on your own? Absolutely not. I, to your point, the fir- the larger firms do a really great job of making sure that their brand name is front and center in the, in the minds of consumers, but they don't necessarily do much to promote the individual advisor. And so in my opinion, your name is the thing in the industry that matters the most in the minds of prospective clients. And so being able to elevate your own name is most valuable to me versus the firm elevating its own name and its own internal expert or two above you. To me, being able to get out to the RIA independent space and and promote my own thoughts and and opinions and that sort of thing was invaluable. Malcolm, you mentioned the consistent dollar spend. Has any of that gone towards more of a strategic, like investing in technology versus the tactics that you mentioned uh, that could be spanned over several years, or are you really focused on the tactics and you hire people to go ahead and be your marketing arm and utilize the technology for you? I would love to ultimately get there to the point where there's a marketing team similar to, and this is probably terrible to to recall him as my example, but it's the one I can think of in the moment. Ken Fisher, the I hate annuities guy similar to the way that he is the face of the brand for better or for worse and has that uh, following that, you know, when you look at the commercials and you decide, okay, I'm going to 
pick up the phone and call Fisher Investments, you're not going to get Ken. You're going to get one of Ken's people he's coached and, and trained. But just by being affiliated with the brand and uh, the thinking internally, you feel like, okay, I've found a safe place. So I'd love to eventually have the marketing team that creates, that promotes, this is the way Malcolm sees it, thinks about it. And, and everyone who works here in the firm also does planning the same way. That would be awesome. But <laughs> for now, to answer your question more directly, it is me using software to do it. So I've got things like a social media scheduler where I go in once a week and actually write out all of the different posts that are going to go out for the week and schedule them at specific times each day to make sure that they're showing up in front of people consistently, but I don't have to go in and do it every morning or in the moment. Um, I can just carve out two hours every Friday morning to schedule the next week's post and move on to the next thing. I know our wholesalers who call in advisors, when times are really good, it's tough to get an advisor, an individual investor to make a change. Mm -hmm. And right now, obviously, that opportunity is out there. I'd love to have you go a little more in depth about the flexibility of prospecting as an RIA versus when you were at the National Wire as I said, like the, the wires do a really good job of promoting their own brand name. And so the compliance has a really tough job. I, I know it probably sounds crazy to anybody who knows me to say that I have any bit of pity for compliance because to me, they usually stop business. They don't really help it. But the challenge is their job is job security is based on no one at the firm having any kind of incident that gets them in hot water with any of the regulators. And so their knee-jerk reaction is always to make sure that anything that looks different from what they did yesterday that kept them in the seat, they're not going to do it because why risk my job for the one person who wants to be able to you know, have a voice mm. separate and apart from the firm. What they ultimately find themselves doing is saying no, no, no to a lot of people who are great, smart, thoughtful, responsible advisors internally and that's the, the phrase that we use for that is managing to the lowest common denominator by treating all of them internally the same way you treat that one or two idiots that are likely to do something crazy that gets the firm in hot water. You're really alienating the good people internally. One of the key differences for me is, like I mentioned, being able to use my own name, my own thoughts and opinions and get that out there in front of the folks that I want to be speaking to, the audience that I want to be speaking to. As an RIA, that is huge to me because like we just said, we can't go and market face to face like we used to be able to do. So what advantage do I now have when it comes to uh, prospecting that I as a wirehouse advisor would be able to do right now? I can't do much of anything to bring in new business. And as you know, the mantra in the wires is, if you're not growing, you're dying. Well, how do I grow in a market where I, I, I can't go out and meet the people and I can't cold call anybody because nobody's in their office. So what do I do to grow my business? So for me, it's really about having the, the freedom and flexibility to online digitally put my name in front of the people who I want to be bringing in as as new clients someday and then also being able to have an opinion we're in an industry where a lot of times at least myself when I was a trainee the way we were always taught is 
don't really take a stance on much of anything. The market could go up, it could go down. We really don't know, right? That's kind of the way you're taught to answer questions. But as a consumer coming and asking the question, you want a direct answer. Whether it's right or wrong, you want somebody who's an authority to give you a direct answer. The market's going to go down and here's why. Or the market is likely to go down between now and then and here's why. And people are looking for somebody to give them a definitive answer and have an opinion whether you're right or wrong. And that is not really, that's frowned upon in the wirehouse environment. Whereas as the RIA, our chief compliance officer sits in the office next to mine. It doesn't take very long for me to give him whatever thing I'm thinking of writing, have him look over it and say yes or no, red X through this thing, this would get us in hot water, this wouldn't. And I'm off to the races as far as posting is concerned. Yeah, I've often spoke spoken at marketing events and said until compliance sits in the office next door to me as a marketer, yep. there is going to be that lag time. It's just inevitable. That's really cool that you have them right there. That's a that's a huge benefit for you. Just getting down to brass tacks, mm-hmm. tell us in your view what works, especially in times like these, and what doesn't work when it comes to prospecting. So I'll start with what doesn't work first because it it mm-hmm. it makes it easier um, to talk about what does. The things we used to do in in the sense that you used to be able to the sales coach loves to teach this. You put at the bottom of your email signature, the best thing you could do for me is give me an introduction to a family or a friend, a family member or a friend or something to that effect. The highest compliment you could pay me is an introduction to your coworker or whatever. Those kind of things, that way of asking for those referrals just does not work anymore. The coaches who are being paid to come in and teach you that they work didn't get hired to come in and coach you by doing that. It's a terrible playbook, in my opinion. But what I think does work is in a time when you know your clients are scared to death because they're watching their net worth shrink day by day by day, 5% here, 7% there, 10% there, it's servicing the crap out of them to the point that they feel so engaged and so loved by their advisor that they can't help but tell the person who they know next to them they just had a great conversation with their advisor and it made them feel great about their situation. And here's his name. That's the way that to me, we're really going to be able to make a a significant difference when it comes to prospecting with that whole referral mindset. It's not going to be asking the client to give you a referral just because you called them and told them their portfolio was down, but only by this much in comparison to everybody else it's going to be you actually servicing the crap out of them and talking to them about all of the things around their financial life that are also happening that make them feel good enough about their situation that they're not freaking out anymore like everybody else they know is. That's the way referrals are are generated, in my opinion. But then also, I mentioned we've been talking a lot about like marketing yourself online and being able to have a presence online. I think that's another one of those things where like, if you don't exist online at this point, then you don't exist in the mind of prospects. Even if it's a referral from a good friend, that person who's asking for the referral is probably looking at two, three, five different advisors at the same time before they actually choose who they're going to engage with. 
So if I said, okay, thanks, Laura, I'm going to check out your advisor, David, and then I go to type your name in online and you don't show up anywhere, well, then I'm just going to cross you off the list and keep moving to the next person. So I would say being the person who says, I don't really need to have an online presence, they'll come find me. That's not going to work anymore. If you don't exist online, you don't exist at all. To me, those are the two things that are huge that we normally have been able to do as an industry. We've gotten away with for a very long time that just going forward, it's not going to work, especially now where you're having to have meetings virtually for the first time ever and, and really get your, your messaging across to people in prospect meetings who are never going to sit face to face technically because the best we can do is get on a, a video conference. Oh, maybe the next time you want to come up with a podcast, we should call it Service the Crap Out of Them podcast. Is that what we should do? <laughs> well, and I, and that, as you were saying that, Malcolm, I was thinking about my compliance officer, but I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the point, right? I, I said initially that a lot of times consumers want to have somebody have an opinion. They're tired of us giving them the germane, like we don't give tax advice. We don't give legal advice. We barely give financial advice. This is not a financial plan. All those different disclosures that go along with it. It's like, well, then what am I hiring you for? So by having a strong opinion on something and making strong statements, to me, it separates you apart from everybody else who doesn't want to. Nobody wants to be wrong is kind of the issue. Mm. But by not being by being so concerned with not being wrong, you don't have an opinion at all. So you don't really stand out from anybody else. Malcolm, I'm going to push back a little bit on the wires, because as you know, we have wires who are our clients as well as our IAs. And I've had the, the opportunity to speak to some of those wirehouse advisors um, mm -hmm. over this time that are that are feeling it's working for them. Uh, what their firm is providing. I think it comes down to personality styles and, you know, kind of where you want to be. As David can attest, I think my firm is doing just a phenomenal job and I get regular messaging and every so often I reach out to him and say, I'm really glad to be here, the mothership, I guess. But I love what you talked about in terms of really what you were talking about earlier was client experience. And we talked a lot about that it's so important for your clients, for anyone's clients, for them to think of their service providers as people who actually care about them as a person. Right. Um, at the beginning of this crisis, I was talking with someone and they told me that their advisor sent them an email and said, don't call us. We've got it covered. Don't call us. And I thought, oh my wow. goodness, that would say to me, it's time to find a new advisor. And they will. And, yeah, and they will. And they will. My my advisor uh, retired, so we've been looking, and I've been talking to three advisors before this crisis, having, having multiple conversations. Um, one never reached out at all. Mm -hmm. um, a second one said we were welcome to come to his office, which we said no thanks, but he never <laughs> offered alternatives. And then the third one did his very first Zoom with us. He wanted to make sure he got the business. And so he, he probably will. But you told us that before we got on air today that you closed a client today. Can you tell us how that came together? It is a uh, referral from someone who I don't even have as a client, but we have had numerous, we being myself and the referrer, 
have had numerous conversations about the markets, about planning, about taxes and all kind of random stuff, just in general, that I guess he thought that I knew enough about the world of personal finance that he was willing to entrust one of his oldest college buddies with me. As we had a conversation, it was over the course of how the virus started to spread and came to be and disrupted us. So we did at least have that one initial face-to-face where we were able to get eyeball to eyeball, as they say, um, which may or may not have made a difference, but everything else we had done from that point on was through Zoom. And so to your point, I didn't just say, I'm only going to reach out to my A clients and B clients during this thing. And anybody else, if you want to call, like, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll allow you to. I was reaching out to, well, for one thing, I don't believe in A clients, B clients, and C clients, but that's a whole different conversation. I was reaching out to literally everybody who I have as a client, everybody who I have as a prospect, and everybody I have as a COI or some other kind of contact, knowing that half of their advisors were going to be sending those emails you're talking about that said, don't call us, we've got it covered, or just not calling at all. And as I said, at a time where everybody's running scared and saying, I don't know what to do because I'm watching my net worth disappear and the phone's not ringing, they're welcoming a call from somebody, whether they already do business with them or not, who's got an idea, got an opinion, and will give them some sort of, of guidance. It's interesting that you're, you're, you're talking about the three different approaches that people have taken to it, because that's kind of where I see our market. It's the folks that say, I don't need to do anything. I've got it in the bag. It's the folks that say, this is the way I've done business for the last 20, 30, 40 years even. And so either the client gets with it or not at all. And then there's the the other people who are saying, this is where the business is headed. And so I've got to go there with it, kicking and screaming or embracing it. But I've got to get there because that's where the people want me to meet them. That's great. Well, Malcolm, congrats on the new business today. And as we look to close up, would you just leave our listeners with one actionable takeaway for the advisors? And what would you suggest for them to do today? I would say I know that the wires, IBDs, and RIAs all have their varying degrees of oversight and, and you know, uh, hangups about LinkedIn. But regardless of which side of the fence you fall on, I would say embrace the crap out of LinkedIn whether it's you're at a firm that they have to create the content for you and you're only allowed to publish their pre-populated content, Mm. that's a place to start. Schedule that stuff and have it being posted on your LinkedIn. If you're at an IBD and they allow you to have a little bit more of a voice, but you still have to use their templates for it, that's fine too. Embrace that. And if you're at an RIA and you've got to actually take the time and spend your own dollars to create you know, the content versus the other firms that have, you know, a whole marketing team to do it. Whatever it is, you've got to figure out how to get it there because the buying decisions for what we do are happening on LinkedIn at a disproportionate rate, in my opinion, to any other place that you could go to market yourself. So being active on LinkedIn to me is the most important thing that we could be doing as advisors to make sure that Uh, we show up and people know that we exist. Absolutely. Well, Malcolm, as always, it was great speaking with you today. And uh, I look forward to having you back on the Flexible Advisor podcast. And 
wish you all the best as you navigate these uncertain times. And it sounds like you're off to uh, a good start. And so are your clients. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. All right. I'm not saying this is an opinion, but this is a podcast chock full of insight. And thank you, Laura, David, and Malcolm, Malcolm Etheridge of CIC Wealth Management. It's very easy to subscribe to the Flexible Advisor podcast with Laura Gregg and David Partain of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Just use the subscribe button on this page and share this conversation by tapping the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.